Well, we come this afternoon to the 91st Psalm, Psalm 91, which is where the hymn came from that we sang together. This is a very uh, uplifting psalm. It is a psalm of confidence and security uh, that the psalmist expresses. He says there in verse 2 that the Lord is my refuge and my fortress. This was very personal. It was, he is my fortress and, and the one in whom I have confidence. And then as you read down through the psalm, you will see some of the, the promises that he clings to in, in which he finds God to be his refuge. God will care for him. Uh, again, verses 1 and verse 4. There's the surety of deliverance against his enemies in verses 3 and 5 and 6. There's the indication that he will give his angels charge over you in verses 10 to 12. And then there's victory that is theirs. And then he ends with this note of just knowing God's blessing, knowing God's favor. What a, what a wonderful thing it is to have God's favor and blessing upon your life. So, again, it's a very uplifting psalm. Psalm 91, follow as I now read. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. For it is he who delivers you from the snare of the trapper and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions and under his wings you may seek refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a bulwark. You will not be afraid of the terror by night or the arrow that flies by day, of the pestilence that stalks in the darkness or of the destruction that lays waste at noon. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it shall not reproach you. You will only look on with your eye, you will only look on with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. For you have made the Lord my refuge, even the Most High your dwelling place. No evil will befall you, nor will any plague come near your tent. For he will give his angels charge concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will bear you up in their hands and they will not and they and that you will not strike your foot against a stone you will tread upon lions and cobras the young lion and the servant you will trample down because he has loved me therefore i will deliver him i will set him securely on high because he has known my name he will call upon me, and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With a long life, I will satisfy him and let him see my salvation. Well, it's wonderful to have God as your trust and your fortress. Now take your hymn books and turn to 309. Hymn 309, Jesus, where thy people meet. There they behold thy mercy seat. 
309. seated. Take your Bibles and turn over to Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17. Let me read and you're hearing the first four verses of this chapter. And he said to his disciples, It is invincible that stumbling blocks come, but woe to him through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea than that he would cause one of these little ones to stumble. Be on your guard. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times, seven times a day, and returns to you seven times saying, I repent, forgive him. We'll stop our reading there. 
A few weeks back, we began to consider together this topic of forgiveness, and especially the idea of forgiving one another, uh, that what we might refer to as a human forgiveness. Um, it requires that, that we seek out other individuals who we have offended and ask for their forgiveness. And they are to grant that forgiveness. It's the, it's the thought that there's a strained relationship because of wrongs or because of hurts or disappointments. And we're not talking here about opinions. You know, you might like the color green, and I might like the color red, but I don't need to go to you and ask your forgiveness because I like red rather than green. But there are those things in which we might offend one another, in which we, we might hurt one another, disappoint each other, that can be described as sins. Maybe it was our reaction to something that happened. Maybe it was the words that we spoke that we did in anger. And we need to ask for forgiveness. And when someone asks for that forgiveness, we need to forgive one another. Now, the last time we looked at this topic together, we considered what I called the soil of forgiveness. Uh, I would have you take out a half a sheet of paper and see if you remember uh, what we talked about. But what was the soil of forgiveness? And, and where, does, where does forgiveness grow out of? And it grows out of the reality that, that we've been forgiven. When, when we think of, of what Jesus Christ has done, then for us, then we ought to willingly forgive one another. Our Lord's prayer was, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. You might recall a few weeks back, we looked at John chapter 13, that familiar portion of Scripture that gives to us the washing of the disciples' feet by Christ. In fact, we were just looking at it last night when we were reading together. And, and, and oftentimes we think, and it's true, that that narrative is about humility. A willingness to, to wash another person's feet shows a humility. But as Peter talks to our Lord, there's another important lesson that comes out of that event, and that was the need of forgiveness. Uh, we, we perhaps go to God, we ought to perhaps go to God every day asking His forgiveness because of what we have said or done in our lives. And He, and he stands ready to forgive us. If we confess our sins, what does He do? He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So in the same way that, that God is committed to pardon us graciously as we confess our sins, so we ought to forgive one another. Paul says there in Ephesians 4, Be ye kind one to another, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has forgiven you. God expects His disciples to forgive others in the way that He's forgiven them. 
So we have that. That's the soil in which forgiveness grows. Now this afternoon, just briefly, I want you to consider with me what I've called the core or, or the heart of forgiveness. And here in Luke 17, there are a couple of things I would have you notice with me when it comes to this topic of forgiveness. First of all, the directive given, the directive given, and then the directions given. So you have a directive, and then you have directions in in this portion of Scripture. So what is the directive given to us here in this passage? Well, go down to verse 4. And in verse 4, we read these words. Verse 3, I'm sorry, verse 3. If your brother sins, rebuke him, and if he repents, what? Forgive him. Here's the directive. If someone comes to you acknowledging their sin, you are to forgive him. You're to forgive him. That's clear in this text. He doesn't say, if he comes and says he repents, then you give him a list of things he needs to do before you forgive him. Or if he comes and says he repents, then you say, okay, let's give it a week and we'll see what happens. If he comes and says, I repent, you don't say to him, okay, but I'm telling everybody else that this went on. He says, if a man comes to you, and acknowledges his sin, and asks for your forgiveness, you're to give it. You're to forgive your brother who has offended against who has offended you. So then the question comes, what exactly is forgiveness? What is this human forgiveness? Well, I don't need to reinvent the wheel. And by that I mean in his book, Unpacking Forgiveness, Chris Bronze gives a definition of forgiveness. And here it is. I think it's it's good. Forgiveness is a commitment by the offended to pardon graciously the repentant. Some of you are taking notes. I'll say it again. A commitment by the offended to pardon graciously the repentant from moral liability from moral liability and to be reconciled to that person and to be reconciled to that person although not all consequences are necessarily eliminated right from moral liability to be reconciled to that person although not all consequences are necessarily eliminated so let me say it one more time it is a commitment by the offended to pardon graciously the repentant from moral liability to be reconciled to that person, although not all consequences are necessarily eliminated. So there, there are occasions 
when, when we might forgive someone, but there are still consequences to their actions. They can't just simply be wiped out. For example, if a man has the responsibility of, say, the offerings of the church, and in the midst of going through some very difficult times and having his house about ready to be foreclosed on, he, he takes some money that doesn't belong to him. He embezzles. And, again, I hate to use an illustration because, wait, is that going on? No, it's not going on. It's just an illustration. All right? But, but that person then realized, I've done wrong. And, and, and I need to ask for forgiveness. And they come and, and seek forgiveness. We may pardon them and even seek to be reconciled to them, but there still could be ongoing consequences. I mean, I've had to deal with this in other cases. I, I had to sort of be a mediator between someone who was working at a church in the daycare area and there was some embezzlement and that person recognized their sin and, and wanted to make it right and, and went in and acknowledged their sin, asked for forgiveness. And, 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 and the leaders in the church says, we'll forgive you. But you're paying that money back. And it was quite a substantial amount of money. In fact, we had to work up a payment plan to see that that was taken care of. So there, there were still consequences that came about, even though this person came to recognize that what they did was wrong and they needed to make it right. So in this definition, we see that forgiveness is graciously given. It is motivated by love. It, it, is, it is with the desire of wanting to be reconciled. It, it, it's with the desire of not wanting to live under this tension and, and under this strain. And so if someone comes and, and seeks your forgiveness, then you graciously grant it because you love them. You care about them. Again, Colossians 3 and verse 13 says, Bearing with one another, forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also you should. So also should you. So it is, it is a gracious act that's motivated out of, out of love. That's how God forgives us. He loves us. He doesn't want to live with this tension, but He wants us to acknowledge our sin, and He is ready. He is ready to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It is also a commitment. It's a commitment. It's a promise to pardon one another when it is sought. I, I'm committed to do this. If you've come and asked for my forgiveness, I'm committed. I promise I will give you that when it is sought. Now, what does that mean? What does that look like? When, when someone comes to me and, and asks for my forgiveness, and I'm, I'm committed to graciously pardon them, what does that look like? Well, again, there's a book called The Peacemaker. The Peacemaker. I forget who wrote the book. But in it, 
There, there, there are, it gives the readers four promises made when the believer forgives someone. When you, when you are willing to forgive someone, then you're making these four promises. Are you ready for it? Number one, I will not dwell on the incident. I, I will not continue to think about and dwell upon that incident. When you've sought my forgiveness, I, I, I don't do that. Number two, I will not bring up this incident again and use it against you. If someone comes to you and asks for your forgiveness over an offense, you do not keep bringing it up again. Now, that, that, that's true in the church. It's true in the home. When, 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 you know, which one of us as spouses have not had to seek the forgiveness of our mates? And once we've sought their forgiveness and they've, they've granted that forgiveness, it is not to be used as a weapon. It is not to be used to be brought up over and over and over again. Once there's truly been repentance and forgiveness. Number three. I will not talk to others about this incident. Will you forget? You know, when I spoke to you the other day, I was on edge, and the way I spoke to you was wrong. Will you forgive me? Of course I'll forgive you. And then you go off and you tell somebody else, well, you know, the other day, that guy, he's got to, you got to watch him. Sometimes he can, he can, he, he said some things to me in a way that should not have been said, and and, oh, yeah, he asked for my forgiveness, but I'm just telling you, you, you know, you know, you're not going to talk to others about it. You're not going to talk to others about it. And fourthly, I will not let this incident stand between us or hinder our personal relationship. I will not let it stand between us or hinder our personal relationship. That's when you ask for forgiveness and when you grant forgiveness, that's what you're saying. I will not dwell on the incident. I will not bring up the incident again or use it against you. I, I will not talk to others about the incident. And I will not let the incident stand between us or hinder our personal relationship. Now, think about that a minute. Isn't that what God does? Isn't that how God forgives us? When we go to God and acknowledge our sin, ask confessing our sins, and He forgives us, does He dwell on it? Does He say, okay, uh, this is your sin. I'm just going to set it right here to make sure you don't forget. And you know what He does with it? He says, I'm going to put it behind my back, which means I ain't going to see it no more. Does he bring it up again and again? You know what we tend to do? We tend to bring it up again. How many times have you said, Lord, I, I lost control of my anger again. And, and sometimes I reckon God's going, again? What do you mean again? Well, you know, I, I did it last week and now I did it again. Oh, well, you confessed that last week. I don't remember it no more. I've separated as far as the east is from the west. Does he talk to others about it? Does he, you know, aren't you glad that God doesn't put up a billboard 
He says, hey, do you know what this guy did? Now, he asked for forgiveness, but this is what he did to me. And at the end of the day, he, he, he wants to forgive because he wants us to have a relationship with him. So we need to be willing to forgive. We need to, we've been given that directive. When someone comes to us acknowledging their sin, we need to forgive as the Word of God tells us. If he repents... Make him wallow in it for a while. That's, that's how we'd like for it to read at times, isn't it? Forgive him. So that's the directive. Now the directions. Our Lord sets before us some directions with regard to such an event that may transpire in the life of any believer. And it is, it is such an event that in all likelihood does come about in the life of every, every believer. Notice, first of all, the setting in which these directions are given. He says there in verse 1, It is inevitable that stumbling blocks come. It is inevitable. It is it's unavoidable. That's what that word means. It is impossible for, for such stumbling blocks to take place. Our Lord is giving us the reality that in all likelihood, we as believers are going to be offended by other believers. You can mark it down. Other believers will hurt you, disappoint you. They will sin against you. It will happen. Don't be shocked. None of us should say, wow, I never knew that could happen. Because here our Lord says, it is unavoidable. It refers to something that is certain and cannot be otherwise. The Christian Standard Bible reads this way, Offenses will certainly come. They're going to happen. Which one of us, I won't ask for a raise of hands, but which one of us have not offended somebody else? Which one of us have not said something we ought not to have said? Which one of us have not been guilty of of some sin against someone else. In other words, which one of us have not had the occasion in which we've needed to say, will you forgive me? I was wrong. We don't like doing that. But in all likelihood, each one of us have been guilty of those offenses. And if anyone here dare say, Oh, not me. I've never offended anyone. Well, there's two things I'd say to you. Number one, I'd like to know your formula. And number two, if you're married, can I talk to your spouse? All right. Let's just see what they have to say. Because here our Lord says these things are going to happen. We're going to be 
either ones who have offended or have been offended by others. So that's the setting. Notice, secondly, the seriousness, the seriousness of such an issue. Now, he sort of goes from either the offended to the one who's caused the offense. And so he says, it's inevitable that the stumbling block will come, but woe to him through whom it comes. Now he's sort of talking about the one who's caused the offense. The, the, the one who has acted ungodly towards someone else. The one who has sinned against his brother. And, and, and here he pronounces this, this woe. It, it, is, it is a serious issue. When we offend one another, we ought not to take that lightly. When I've sinned against someone, I need to take that issue very seriously. How seriously? Well, here our Lord says... It would be better for a man to have a millstone tied around his neck and thrown into the sea than to cause an offense against someone else. That, that's, that seems pretty serious to me. I don't know about you. I have no idea what it would be like. A millstone, you know, was one of those grinding wheels, weighed thousands of pounds, and here, the illustration that our Lord gives, it would be better if you had one of those things, if it were possible, tied around your neck, and, and then they threw you into the sea. What would happen? You would go to the bottom. You, you would sink, man. And, and there you could not get up, and you would drown. Uh, my understanding is one of the worst ways to die is to die from drowning. Not being able to get a breath, having water infiltrate your lungs, and you try to get up, and you got this meal. What a what a horrible horrible way to die! I remember years ago, I did the funeral of a younger lady. I think she was in her early twenties, and her mother asked me to do her funeral. And when I went to meet them and talk to them, I came to find out that this young lady was walking near some water, body of water someplace, and, and ended up falling into this well type of, of, of contraption and ended up drowning. And even as the mother was describing how her daughter died, even though she wasn't there, she, I remember her saying to me, can you imagine? She couldn't get up, and the water's all over, and, and she can't breathe, and my baby died. What, what a terrible death my baby died with. Well, here our Lord says, if we offend, if we're guilty of offending one of his disciples, and I believe the little ones refer here to, to the disciples, other disciples, to other believers, you would be better off to drown with a millstone tied around your neck. This is, this is a serious, serious issue. John MacArthur writes, It would be better for him, in fact, that the heavy millstone be hung around his neck and that he be drowned in the depth of the sea than to offend his brother. 
So when you've sinned against someone, do not have the idea, it's no big deal. Or, he or she had it coming. Or, they need to come to me first because I'm also offended. When you've sinned against a brother or sister, you best take it seriously. For the Lord does. In fact, we see something else of the seriousness of this when he goes on in verse 3 and says, Be on your guard. Be on your guard. You, you watch out. You, we need to pray, Lord, make me sensitive so that if I do offend, that I would be quick to make it right. Help me to... You know, sometimes, I don't know about you, but sometimes I say things I shouldn't say. And sometimes I realize that just about the time the words get right about here. And I want to grab them. You ever try to grab them? We try to grab a word. Try to grab a word before it enters the ear of someone. You know? It's, it's hard to do. You know? So if I look at you and say, Hi! You see, it got to you before I could even get to it. Alright? So, so Lord, I want to be careful what I say. I, I want to be careful how I speak to others. I want to be careful what I do. I, I remember again, I can get back to all my memories. When you're my age, you get to remember things, you know? What can I say? But a, a lady was babysitting our children. And then after she babysat them, all of a sudden there was this coldness. And, and we didn't know what was wrong. And so, you know, did we do something wrong? I don't, I don't know. What we do? Talk to the kids. Set them down. What would your kids do? No, we didn't do anything. I don't know. We played. We had a good time. So finally, we went to this person and say, what? We feel this coldness, this distance. What's, what's going on? And, and she says to us, well, you know, when I was babysitting your children while you were gone, they mentioned the fact that, and I forget what it was, but there was something that was missing in our home. Um, I don't I remember what it was. Something was missing. And we've been looking for it and trying to figure out who, who maybe might have taken it or how did where did it go? What happened to it? And apparently our children was talking to this lady uh, about that reality and she took it from them that we were accusing her of taking this thing and her name never even came up. It was just the way the children told the story that she thought, well, they might be thinking it's me. And that wasn't the case. And, and, and we didn't... I went, we're, we're sorry if that happened. Please forgive us. We, it never crossed our minds. And we need to be sensitive to how people can be offended and, and, and seek to make it right. We don't want to live with tension. We don't want to live with this strained relationship. And so we need to uh, seriously consider these things. Be on your guard so that you're not an offended party towards someone else. So, so we've seen the setting. It, it's going to happen. We, we've seen the seriousness of it. But then what's the solution? What's the solution? And here we are given direction. And, and notice, and these aren't original with me, but somebody came up with the, um, well, you've heard of the three R's, right? Reading, writing, and arithmetic. Now, how arithmetic was one of the three R's, I do not know. But that's what we used to say, the three R's, reading, writing, and arithmetic. 
Here we have the four R's. The four R's. If someone has offended you or sinned against you, first of all, you're to go and rebuke them. Notice what it says. If your brother sins, rebuke him. Now, some of you may say, hot dog. I've been waiting for that. Man, I mean, don't come all of you charging after me after church. You know, don't come, come. I got something to say to you, pastor. All right, now, let's not do that. All right. But, if, but here, the idea of rebuke is you go and you point out their sin. And I trust you point out it lovingly. And I pray that you don't go with an arrogant accusation style of rebuking. But I pray you go humbly, lovingly, with the purpose of wanting to bring about reconciliation. That's why you do it. You don't do it to slam them. You don't do it to make yourself look better. But your desire is to take this strained relationship and make it pleasing in the sight of God. So I go to my brother who has offended me. Now again, we're not talking about opinions. We're talking about sin. We're talking about uh, accusations of wrongdoing. But we go then lovingly, prayerfully, humbly, and pointing out their sins. I would also say that when we go to them, we don't come accusatorily. In other words, maybe you just didn't see everything. Just like that lady, we had never dreamed that she did anything wrong. If she would have come to us and say, how dare you think I... We never thought that. So it's much better when we go to someone, if we come to them with this, this, this disposition, you know, here's what I see. And I could be wrong, but, but I'm concerned about this area, and I want to help, and I don't want this defense to go on. I don't want this strain to go on. So if I'm wrong, you can correct me, but if I'm right, brother, that's sin, and you need to turn away from it, and you need to do what's right in the sight of God. So there's first rebuke. Second, repent. When someone points out to me my sin, then I must be willing to acknowledge it as sin and turn away from it. Turn away from it. Now, we don't like to do this, right? I mean, do you like going to somebody and saying, you know, brother, I see this sin. I've I've been offended by what you've done. We don't like to do that for many several reasons, just a couple reasons. We don't like to do it because we don't like confrontation. Believe it or not, I, I, I do not. People think I love confrontation. They think I live on confrontation. I absolutely hate confrontation. Right. So we don't like to, to go to someone and sort of point out their sins. Number two, another reason we don't like to do it is because it could turn around on us. Oh, yeah, you think I'm bad. Well, I saw you do this. Well, there, there's something wrong with that attitude as well. If my response when someone comes to me and out of genuine concern and they've seen something in my life, if my attitude is, well, yeah, but I can outdo you. I saw you do so-and-so. There's something wrong with that attitude as well. But when my sin is known, 
I need, I need to repent of it. Turn away from it. Third, reconciliation. Reconciliation. There's the rebuke, there's the repentance, there's reconciliation. I want to, again, enjoy fellowship with, with a fellow believer. I, I want to be in favor with other people. And so I, I go to them and I, and I point out their sins. They repent. It's for this desire that there can be a, a good relationship between the two of us once again. So you have rebuke, you have repent, you have reconcile. Do you know what the last R is? What? Repeat. Good. All right. Repeat. If they come to you seven times in a day and they repent, you're to forgive them. Seven times. Seven times. So, so here's the direction that we're given with regard to this forgiveness. Rebuke, repent, be reconciled, and repeat when necessary. And oftentimes it is. Well, there's something of what the heart of forgiveness is. It is that commitment to graciously pardon without moral liability. In other words, without wanting paid back something. You, you just gladly forgive them and pardon them, though there still may be consequences that will follow. We need to... Listen, every one of us need forgiveness. Not only from God, but at times from each other. And may we gladly give it when it is sought after to the glory of God. So that's the heart of forgiveness. Now, there's still you still have questions, and there are still more to this series that will be going forward. I want to talk about the importance of forgiveness. I, I, I want to talk about, and we'll get into whether or not, you know, if if somebody seven times, seven times, they've offended me, what does that mean? I mean? At what point do I have to say, okay, enough? And what steps do I need? These are the things we'll be looking at in in weeks to come which may take us a year because I'm just going to be doing this every uh, two or three weeks. So uh, that's the direction we will be headed. But I trust that we will be a forgiving people when others have offended us. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, again, we thank you for the instruction that your word gives to us. And we pray that we would not, we would not just gloss over these things. Father, we want your blessing upon our assembly. We want your blessing upon our lives. And therefore, Father, we pray that we would be kind to one another, that we would love one another, and that we would forgive each other, just as you have in your Son forgiven us. And so, Father, we pray that if there's tension, that we will deal with it aright. If there's a strained relationship, that we'll deal with it aright that we might know your blessing and favor upon us for times to come. For these things we do pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, 286, Trinity Hymn Book, 286, we gather together to ask the Lord blessing. 
And I trust each time that we come together, that's our desire, to know the favor of God upon our assembly. 286.